This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Uh, This morning, I'd like to speak to you on uh, the trial of your faith. Uh, I know for sure uh, there's a couple of families in here that's been dealing with a lot of hard times here lately. Um, But I'm sure each and every one of us, in our own way, has faced, is facing, or will face uh, some kind of uh, trials in your life. Um, Now, it could be uh, persecutions, as we're going to talk about in 1 Peter. It could be be our health. Uh, It could be our financial struggles that we might have. Or it could be that we're dealing with sorrow. Uh, So... And there's many other things that we can mention uh, that you might be dealing with, but these are a few that that I can relate to in my life uh, in the past, or maybe something I'm going through right now, or to prepare myself uh, for things that might come in, in my life for me and my family. Each person uh, that's here this morning will face a struggle, and there's not a struggle in your life that is too small that we just say, well, we're just overlooked. We'll overlook that struggle because I think and I believe the way the Bible talks and the way God wants us to look at these struggles, that each struggle is important to each one. Now, those struggles, uh, the struggles that I have in my life uh, may not be a struggle for you. Uh, may seem something like if I struggle with my health and it really bothers me because of my health, if I get sick and it really takes my eyes off of Christ, but maybe your health and the things that you're facing your health, that doesn't distract you from serving Christ. Maybe it's something else. So no matter how little it may seem, if it's causing you to stumble, if it's causing you to take your eyes off of Christ or uh, to not focus on Christ fully in your life, it's something that needs to be looked at. So the trial of our faith. You'll turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Starting in verse 6, it says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of, of Jesus Christ. So here in this, in this verse here, we find the, the title to our lesson, but it's something I want to focus on is the trial of your faith that you're facing right now, the trial that you're going through, it is trying your faith. It is something that uh, Peter was recognizing on these people here. These people had been scattered uh, throughout different parts of the land there through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and all these different places. They were scattered because of this persecution they was facing. And so he was writing this letter saying to them, I understand your manifold temptations. You're heavy through these manifold temptations that you're facing because of this persecution. So he recognizes that. And I... Don't believe he was uh, rebuking them for having heaviness. He wasn't getting on to them, beating the Bible over their heads, or the Word of God over their heads, saying, you don't need to be having this heaviness. He was just simply recognizing this fact that they was heavy, or they was distressed because of their temptations, because of their afflictions, the persecutions they were facing. Now, he also offers encouragement, doesn't he? He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. You know, it's pretty neat if you find a gold coin outside, or if you go 
hunting for treasure, you know, back in the old days, they used to go panning for gold. You know, it's, it's precious to find those things, but that gold perishes. He said, your trial of your faith be much more precious than that gold that you can find because at the end of this life, it's going to find us unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Christ. So as you're going through these persecutions, as you're going through these trials in your life, maybe we need to think about that it's trying our faith and if we remain faithful through these things, that's going to be worth it all when Christ returns. So this morning I want to look at some practical steps, some practical things that we can look at, some answers on how we can deal with these persecutions as we're facing them. You know, it's one thing for me to stand up here and say, well, God's going to be with you. We're going to face these things. But I think it's very important that we look at some applications to this and, and some things that we're not supposed to do uh, while we're facing these, these persecutions and these different trials. Later on in this same chapter, after Peter uh, comes to them and he, he recognizes their distress and he comforts them, he continues to comfort them a little bit. Then verse 13, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So he, he offers them comfort, then he says, Now let's gird up your loins. Now, it's hard for us to maybe understand what it means to gird up the loins of our mind, but to kind of give us a little, a little more understanding is when back in that time when they was, was told to gird up their loins, you know, they would wear robes or or what they would call tunics, and they it would be pretty long, you know, almost down to their ankles. Well, when they would go do uh, hard labor or go into battle, they were told to gird up their loins. And there's you can look on the, online how they would gird them up, but basically they would pull that robe up here, and they would tie that robe around their waist to to get that robe out from around their feet. You know, when you have that robe around your feet and you're trying to run or trying to do labor, that's going to get in the way, ain't it? So they, when they was girding up their loins, they would get that robe up out of the way so they can get to work, so that they can go to battle. And so when we're talking about girding up the loins of our mind, we need to decide to, to pull ourselves together to get back to work, to make up our mind to do that, to be decisive in the fact that, hey, what do we need to be really thinking about right now? You know... <clears throat> During these times of, of afflictions, and I say these things because I face the same things, and these sometimes my thoughts are not in the right spot. You know, sometimes we may we may let our run, thoughts run to sinful things like when we are in this affliction. We don't always make the right decisions either, do we? When we're distressed, when we're tempted. When we're facing these trials, we don't always make the right decisions. Sometimes we might even question the purpose in life. What is our purpose? Why am I still living? Does God even want me anymore? Because through some temptations that people face, you know, if we think about the disciples and the apostles, 
facing the persecutions they faced, I wonder if they ever wondered, what's my purpose? Why am I even still alive? Don't let our thoughts and our decisions and our purpose in life just hang loose in our life. Don't let it just hang out there and we just don't know what to do with it. But gird up the loins of your mind. Gird them up. Bring them together. Gather your thoughts. And let's get back to work. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, we have an example of Elijah. And you may have heard this before. But we have Elijah that was uh, running for his life. Uh, I I believe it was Jezebel was after him and wanted to kill him. And in verse uh, 3 it says, When he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. We have Elijah with a, I mean, if we were being chased by somebody that was wanting to kill us, it would be something to worry about, wouldn't it? Something that would bring us down and, and cause us to, to try to hide, I'm sure, just as Elijah did. But he went out and hid, and not only that, he went and sat under a juniper tree, under a tree. And he says, God, take my life. I'm, I'm done. I'm giving up. As I would call this, you know, he was he's what I would call pouting. He was feeling sorry for himself. He thought he was the only one facing persecutions. He thought he was the only one left for God. And because Jezebel was after him, he might as well give up. He was asking God to take his life. See, his thoughts was running wild. He couldn't make clear decisions. And he was thinking life wasn't worth it anymore. Now, I ask you, as you say here this morning, as you're a Christian here this morning, is this a proper mindset a Christian should have? To go out when we face persecutions and trials, to go out and sit under a tree and pout, and to think only of ourselves, and I'm, I'm being very blunt with this, but I'm being blunt to myself. But I think the proper uh, mindset for us Christians needs to be found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about Christ for a minute. Christ, above all, of anybody that I ever, ever can think of, He faced trials, He faced heaviness, He faced distress. But notice his mindset. It says he looked not to his own things, but to the things of others. This was the mind of Christ. He came to this earth. It wasn't about Christ. It wasn't focused. He didn't want the life, his life to be focused upon himself. But his life was to focus on you and I. To sinners. To bring them home to God. To get them in the right standing with God. It was never about Christ. He didn't feel sorry for himself though he faced a lot of things that everything that we faced, he faced. Even there on the cross, he faced loneliness and away from God as God couldn't look upon his only son. 
But he didn't give up. He didn't go sit under that tree and pout. You know, I think it's it's very important for us if if we're facing distresses and stuff. And again, I don't want to say pouting and, and stuff like that to, to belittle it or nothing like that. Our our struggles is very important. And I think but I think that we can get into a, a rut that we can't get out of sometimes because we just feel like we're the only ones. That we forget that we have each other here to lean upon. And more importantly, we have God to help us through these struggles. We have Christ. Next, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, after he tells them to gird up their loins, the loins of their mind, he tells them to be sober. And me, when I think of somebody being sober, uh, think of somebody that's not been drinking, somebody that's not drunk, uh, somebody that can have a clear mind on something, uh, you know, that can drive a vehicle and stuff like that. Well, when we think about it on a, a, a spiritual sense, being sober means just being clear-minded for God. Uh, so Peter tells them, you need to clear up your mind. You need to bring, your, bring yourself together, and you need to have a clear mind of everything. You know, there's a lot of things. These, these struggles we face can, can blind us, can't can it? It can throw up a fog in front of our eyes we can't see. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 8, it says, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an helmet, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So he says, let us be sober, and, and we do this by putting on the breastplate of faith and love. So we need to have faith and this love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. And we think about faith, and, and the title to our lesson is the trial of our faith. Faith is very important for us as Christians to remember, to keep our faith strength, strengthened in our life. You know, all these things that's happened to people in the past that we can think of, uh, the apostles and disciples and, and even Christ, we talk about their faith and their Father. It took a lot of faith uh, for people to be martyred for Christ. Uh, you know, and I, and I think about my persecutions or things I face, it, it really pales in comparison to what some people have faced. It pales in comparison to what some of y'all have faced. But it takes strong faith to make it through those struggles that we face as Christians. But how can we build our faith? How can we make our faith remain in our life? First of all, uh, we find this in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Don't ever... Close the Bible. Don't ever let dust collect on your Bible at home. On the cover. Always keep those pages turning because that's where we find life. That's where we find hope. That's where we find everything about God and Christ. We need, And that's where we find encouragement through these times of troubles. These people here, when they heard the Word of God or when they, when they read something about different things about what they need to do. They, it says they received it with all readiness of mind. They didn't just take the guy that was teaching them. They didn't take just their word for it. They searched the Scriptures daily. And I submit to you that when we hear the Word of God, we need to search the Scriptures and make sure those things, make sure what I'm saying this morning is, is the things that needs to be said, is the truth. 
But this, it's just the point of this readiness of mind that we need to have as Christians to soak in God's Word. That helps strengthen our faith. Psalms chapter 66, verse 20. Prayer is very important. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor His mercy from me. You know, prayer is, is a phone line to God. It's, it's a way we can talk to God. And of course, that comes through Jesus Christ. But if we're doing, if we're faithful as a Christian, God says, I will not turn away your prayer, nor my mercy. Of course, that is all dependent upon if we do our part. And if we're obedient, God's not going to turn away our prayer. Now, it may not be uh, answered in the way we want it to be answered. Uh, there's probably some things, uh, I know some things that I've asked to miss that didn't, turn, that didn't turn out exactly the way I wanted, but it all turned out in God's will. But it's very hard to turn sometimes to turn some things over to God and let Him take care of it. But we go to God in prayer, and we ask for His help during these struggles that we face. What about singing? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Now remember, we're talking about being sober here, having a clear-mindedness. We talked about having faith, and we're talking about studying and prayer. But notice here it says, And be not drunk with wine, where is, is excess, excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things and to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, don't be drunk with wine where, where you're just not going to be sober anymore. But he said, to fill yourself with the Spirit. Don't fill, your, fill, thing, don't fill your mind or your body with physical things. Fill it with the Spirit. And how do you do that? He says to sing. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, making melody in your heart. Try this sometime. You know, it's very uh, get, can get very frustrating for me if I'm working on a my truck or something at home, and I don't have any music playing. I'm just sitting there by myself and I'm working. It's very easy to get frustrated on the project I'm working on, but it helps me if I can turn on some music some gospel music or acapella music, and it's playing there in the background, or maybe if I think of a song and I start singing it myself, it makes that project go so much smoother. It makes me have the right attitude on maybe not throwing a wrench or something like that when I get upset. You know, filling ourselves with spirit by, by singing helps a lot. Helps us keep a, a clear focus on what's truly important. Seeking God, Amos chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into, into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. You know, our Father, God, if you look up in the sky at nighttime and you, and you see all those stars, God made those. And you look and you make patterns in the sky and, and you see those constellations, God made that for us to enjoy. We have morning, we have we have evening, we have daytime, we have nighttime. God made those things. 
I can't understand how he made those things. He just spoke those things into existence. That's how much power he has. All the waters that are in the sea and the oceans and the lakes and the rivers that keep running all the time, God made those. The Lord is his name. and He, he is the one we seek after to help us in these dark times that we face. So if he, if he is creator of all things, he can help us through our distresses and he will see us through those, through those times. Psalms chapter 37, verse 23, it says, the steps, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. So we are going to stumble, because you know, if we go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and Satan, from that time, man has constantly stumbled, because we're man. We're sinful creatures. We're going to stumble. But God says, if, you're, if your steps, if you let God direct your steps, if your steps are ordered by God, He says, though you fall, you won't be utterly cast down. He's going to uphold you in His hand. God understands that you're going to fall sometimes. But you're going to fall into His hand. You're not going to be utterly cast all the way down. He's going to catch you. Now, it may not feel like that sometimes, but maybe it's because of our faith. It's not where it should be. But God says, if you're doing what you should be doing, if, if your steps is ordered by me, He says, I will uphold you in my hand. It's hard for me to remember that sometimes. Remembering Christ's sacrifice and what He went through for you and I to offer you and I life will help us keep the right focus. For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. It was in time of our weakness that Christ died for us because we were full of sin. It is in time of your weakness today that Christ will be there for you. He will strengthen you. Just remember, especially when we surround the table here in a little bit, to remember Christ's sacrifice. To take our, to take our minds off of ourselves and think about Christ. That will help. We talked about how to keep a clear-mindedness, and we talk about this faith, and these things that we just talked about help strengthen our faith. But he also talks there about the breastplate of faith and love. Love is very important for us to remember as Christians because it's the key. You know, we don't have the miracles and signs and wonders as they did back in the old days. The only thing we have that remains right now is, is love, to love one another, and most importantly, to love God. Luke chapter 10, verse 27, And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Can you and me love God with this kind of love when it seems like God is not there? In these times of struggles, when it seems like God is far away, can we love God with this love? In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So all things work together for good that love God. Well, 
What about the, the guy that lost, the Christian that lost his family in a car wreck? He loves God. How can all things work together for good for that guy if he's lost everything? If he lost his, maybe the next week he lost his house. Maybe the next week after that he lost his job. You know, we have a, a guy like that, don't we? We read about it, about Job in the Old Testament. He lost everything. How can we say that somebody like that that's been faithful to God that's lost everything, well, it's going to work out to the good. Well, for him, it didn't work out to the good, did it? didn't seem like. When we think about it that way, we're thinking about it in the wrong way, aren't we? This world has is, is never promised anything that lasts. Nothing eternal can be found here on this earth. But what will last and what will be eternal is heaven. We need to turn our minds to love God with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, mind and soul, and everything we've got because He offers us eternal life in heaven. And no matter what ways these things turn out here on this earth, that it will all be worth it. It will all work together for good once we get to heaven. That no matter if we lose everything here on this earth, as Job did, that when we get to heaven, it will all be worth it. Second John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And this is love that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment that you, should, that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. So to love God is not just to say you love Him, but to walk in His ways, to, to do as He says. Do you love your brother and sister in Christ? Do you love with that kind of love at 1 Corinthians 13? You know, as I look out in the audience this morning from up here, you know, I look at everybody here and, and I feel the, the love that I, when I walk in that door there, me and my family, even the very first time I'll ever step foot in here, I felt the love from y'all, from this congregation. And we can go to Alabama, we can go to Tennessee, ten, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, these different congregations, and we walk in and, and just are flooded with love. That's the love that we have for one another. That's the love that you have for each other here this morning. It is very easy for me to love y'all. <laughs> you make it very easy. And so as we read 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Charity suffereth long. This charity means love. Suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Guarantee is easy to love one another with this. And we should... Now, there's, there comes times when it might be hard to forbear one another because you know, I might be a little bit annoying to some. Uh, but we forbear one another. We love one another as, as Christians ought. Well, what about when it comes to our enemies? Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, it says, But I say unto you, love your enemies... 
Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This is where I have trouble. You know, I'm asked by God to love my enemies and to love them with this 1 Corinthians love. Can I do that? Is that too high of a calling for me to do? Even to those that persecute us. You know, if you have somebody persecuting you this morning, or maybe something's happening in your life because of somebody, we need to love them. This will help us overcome these trials that we're facing as far as keeping our minds clear for God, is to love your enemies. This is harder to do than me standing up here telling, telling you and telling myself to do, but we got to love our enemies. You know, I've, I've talked to a few people, uh, Christians, and I'm ashamed to say that, but I've talked to a few people. And when mentioned about our enemies, um, or what we would consider our enemies, you know, a lot of people has a lot of hatred uh, for our enemies. Um, I've been caught several times having thoughts running through my head that I didn't have love for enemies. You know, especially when it affects so close to home and, and you have these people that might persecute your family members. It would be hard to love those people, wouldn't it? Those enemies. But nonetheless, we are told to love and we are, we are commanded to do so by God. Not only does he tell us to be sober, but he says to hope to the end. And hope's a big thing for us because, you know, if as it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, it says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So if in this life is the only thing we have to hope for, we're going to be miserable people. But it's because of Christ and his resurrection that he was raised from the dead gives us hope of eternal life, doesn't it? And so through Jesus Christ, we have this hope. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, says, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively, uh, yeah, lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So he says, we are to have this live, lively hope, which is given to us through his son, Jesus Christ, through his resurrection. We have this mercy from God that gives us an inheritance. We look forward to that inheritance in heaven that cannot be found except we go through Jesus Christ. And that inheritance is in heaven, it's for eternity. And that's what we hope for in this life. That no matter what happens in this life, we have hope of eternal life in heaven. Maybe you're, you are persecuted or will be persecuted. And heaven will be restored, won't we? Maybe we're just faced with, with bad health in this life. And heaven will be healed. Maybe we're facing financial struggles and we just find it hard to get by. And heaven will lack nothing. 
Maybe in this life we constantly have sorrow. In heaven, there will be no more sadness. There will be no more tears. That's the hope that we have in this life. Imagine how miserable it would be if we didn't have that hope. And also, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, after he tells them about having hope, he says, as obedient children, he tells them to obey. Just because they're facing hard times doesn't get them out of obeying God. We need to continue to obey God. That's what he was telling them to do. As obedient children, not fashion yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance. So he tells them to do this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ was told by His Father to go die for you and I. And He went and died for you and I. He obeyed His Father because He loved us. And that love is what drove that obedience. I want you to notice in Philemon chapter 1, verse 21, uh, to give you a little backstory to this, Philemon was a, a, a brother in Christ, and he, back in that time, there was a lot of people, even Christians, that owned slaves, uh, owned servants, and in this particular case, this particular instance, Philemon's servant, uh, servant Onesimus, I believe his name, or something like that, um, ran away, and uh, as Paul was doing his uh, traveling around, he came across this servant and converted him, and uh, Paul understood that this slave had ran away from Philemon, so he tells this servant he needs to go back and make things right uh, with his with his owner. And so as Paul was writing this letter back to Philemon, he was telling Philemon that he had obeyed the gospel, that the servant had obeyed the gospel, that he was no longer just his servant, but that he was also a brother in Christ and treat him as such. That he is going to come back and repay his debt, but you need to treat him as a brother in Christ now, not just as a servant. He says in verse 21, it says, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Paul had the confidence in Philemon that Philemon was the type of guy that not only just did the very bare minimum in life that he could ever do, he had confidence in Philemon that he was going to go above and beyond what Paul was going to ask him to do through that letter. We know people like that, don't we? We ask them to do something for us. They don't just do the bare minimum. They go above and beyond. They go the extra mile to obey God and do the right thing for us. We need to be the same way. Don't just do the bare minimum for God. Don't just do the bare minimum for one another, but go above and beyond as this Philemon was, was going to do. He also tells us, 1 Peter, to be holy. To be holy as God is holy. We can't be as God. We can't be on the same level of holiness as God, but we can strive to be like God, to do as He says. Reminds me of another scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're a peculiar people. We're set aside. We're, and when we're holy, we're striving to be holy, we're going to be set apart from the world, aren't we? Because worldly things are not going to be holy. And so when we try to do God's word and his will, we're going to be that peculiar people. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, 
meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. If you do these things, as it says here, if we produce this fruit, you're going to be set aside. You're going to be that peculiar person in life. Not to bring attention to yourself, but hopefully to shed that light of Christ to other people. That this is how Christ wants us to act. This is the love that we're supposed to show. This is the way we're supposed to act in life. First or Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. This is Paul speaking. It says, But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that in this life that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, notice that, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and external weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I know that's a, a lot of things there. It's a lot of good things in that. But he tells us, Paul says, we are troubled on every side, but yet we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but we're not destroyed. I, I wish we can. I wish I could have this attitude as Paul did. Yes, we're facing struggles. Yes, I'm having a hard time, but I'm going to be okay. We're going to be all right. Because my focus is upon you. That's what Paul was saying. Though so, then death worketh in us. He said there at the bottom, but life in you. He said I, I'm dying working for you, but it's because it brings you light. He continues on. He says, for our light affliction. All those things he was talking about, he says, in comparison to what I'm going to get in heaven, he says, it's just a light affliction. It's going to last but just for a moment. And it's all going to be worth it. Unfortunately, in life, people 